Hi, it's Mike Gibson coming to you from the BAME Institute with This Week in Cardiology. This week we're talking about critical limb ischemia. I'm joined by a couple of experts in the field, uh, Dr. Eric Sosemski from Mass General. Welcome, Eric. Thank you, Mike. And of course, my good friend and colleague, Dr. Dwayne Pinto. Eric, define for us what critical limb ischemia is. Absolutely. So. Backing up a, a little bit, peripheral arterial disease is atherosclerotic disease that involves the lower extremities primarily, as well as arteries outside the heart. About 8.5 million U.S. Um, patients have peripheral arterial disease. About 1 to 3% progress to critical limb ischemia during the duration of their life. Now, we define critical limb ischemia as the development of usually three symptoms. One, leg pain at rest. Um, two, the development of ulcers, or three, the development of gangrene. And all three of these symptoms have very poor prognosis and high morbidity and mortality. Yeah, and a high rate of readmission, is that right? Correct, yeah. So for patients who um, undergo revascularization procedures for critical limb ischemia, um, over 20% are readmitted within 30 days. Wow. And among those readmissions, another 25% have to have another procedure, the majority time an amputation, and about 5% die during that readmission. So talk to us about the outcomes after an amputation. It carries a very high mortality over the next year, is that right? Correct. So for patients who are not candidates for procedures to open up the arteries in their legs, about 40% of them go on to have an amputation. Now we can reduce that number for people who are candidates for lower extremity vascularization. However, there are some patients that don't have great options. Um, and because critical limb ischemia really involves multiple layers of the lower extremity arteries, these options can really be difficult for some uh, subset of patients. So what are we doing at present, uh, Duane, uh, for these no option patients? What are our options in the no option patient? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, backing up a, a little bit too, as Eric said, these patients have very significant morbidity and mortality, and it's related to cardiac disease. Mm -hmm. They're having strokes, they're having mm -hmm. heart attacks, so really optimizing their medical therapy with regard to atherosclerosis is important. Sure. Stop uh, smoking. Correct. Stop right. smoking is a big one. Aggressive you know, the, it really, uh, smoking as a risk factor is, is uh, more amplified in the legs than it is mm -hmm. even in the heart. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one aspect of the patient's treatment to treat the kind of non-limb outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to the limb outcomes, right now there are centers that can provide very advanced surgical and endovascular therapy. So, uh, you know, it, imagine sewing onto the heart and the little tiny blood vessels where there are vascular surgeons who specialize in that too to heal different parts of the foot that may be in jeopardy. So trying to get blood flow to one part of the foot where there is an ulcer or gangrene may help uh, prevent the need for amputation. Or in some cases, what may be a very dramatic amputation could be a much less life-impacting mm -hmm. amputation. The other aspect of treatment is these no-option patients that you're talking about, Mike, where they've only been offered uh, an amputation. And the treatment there is to send them to a center of excellence. Mm -hmm. A large proportion of patients, and Eric might want to comment, don't even have an angiogram before they have an amputation. Oh my gosh. Nobody wow. even knows what the options are for that patient. They're just labeled as no mm -hmm. option. Mm -hmm. And what, what about experimental or forward-looking therapies that may not have been considered to date? I mean, boy, I remember it's been 15 years now we've been working on things like angiogenesis. Where are we with angiogenesis in the limb? 
Yeah, Dwayne, I don't know if you want to comment on that a little bit more, but I'll just say from the current kind of armamentarium of interventions we have the lower extremity, um, most of these patients, as Dwayne mentioned, are very high risk. Their risk factors are age, diabetes, and smoking. So this is a high-risk population, and endovascular therapies tend to be preferred for most patients these days um, because of these comorbidities that increase the risk of surgical, um, poor surgical outcomes. But the interventions that we do when we have any attempts we to revascularize the lower extremities have poor patency rates. Um, they can actually result in a greater need for amputation if there's distal embolism. Mm. And so we're really at a, uh, have a lot of unmet uh, needs for how to treat these patients, um, both with and without um, revascularization um, mm -hmm. options. Mm -hmm. but, but remember, for critical limb ischemia, the goal is to heal the foot, which takes more energy Correct. than it yeah. takes to keep the foot Alive. alive. Correct. So yeah. restoring blood flow is is what we want to do, even though patency may not be long-term patency may not be the goal. But in those patients, Mike, that you're talking about that don't have options when it comes to, for example, angiogenesis, you know, there's even a subset of these these patients where maybe it's more of an indolent disorder mm -hmm. that we have time for angiogenesis factors to work, and we really don't know what are the the factors, how the best way is to deliver them. But it sounds like you know, if you have a gangrenous foot and someone wants to take it off, you don't have time. So what are some of the more forward-looking ways of treating this more rapidly? Yeah, and there are a number of strategies in evolution. Um, one that I think is pretty interesting, very exciting, is uh, the idea of creating a connection between uh, a blocked artery where there is normal blood flow before the blockage and introducing a connection between that artery and the vein hmm. and veins you know get come from the leg sure. but if we were to change the direction of blood flow mm -hmm. from the artery down the vein to the foot we now we have a super highway yeah it's like a to, detour but you have <laughs> yeah. you have all these stop signs you have all these valves in the vein right that's keeping you from going down the leg so what do you do there yeah well i think you know this technology uh limb flow is the mm -hmm. is a uh, is the company well they've thought of this and mm -hmm. uh the valves are ablated using a, a device hmm. so now you know the the one-way streets uh can so you're going all the way direction. down to the foot in reverse. Yeah. It's like you're driving in the UK or something. You're yeah. driving on the <laughs> wrong side of the road. You get down to the foot. You perfuse it. Um, how does the blood get out of the leg then? Well, it, it, you know, through collateral vein circulation, it now returns back through the veins yeah. in the different parts of the foot. And, al and also, it's arterialized blood. Mm -hmm. So right. those parts That's of the foot it. that may not be getting uh, good blood flow are at least getting more oxygenated blood also as it returns back through the yeah, venous system. And has this been done in animals? I mean, where are we in the development? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's been done in animals. It's been done in uh, a handful of people. And actually, very excitingly, uh, it may be done in uh, a larger group of people to look for its uh, more expanded use in people. Yeah. Cool. Well, guys, thank you. This has been a great kind of kickoff session for this week in cardiology. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Great. Thank thanks you. for joining us, as always, Duane. And thanks to all of you for joining us here for this week in cardiology.